Welcome back to America's First 50 Years, our podcast about early American history. I'm Chris McKenna, and with me is my co-host, Kathy Conroy. Hi, Chris. In this podcast, we're going to talk about tensions and troubles between Britain and the colonies in 1775 and 1776, ending in the Declaration of Independence. Not surprisingly, Chris, at the end of 1774, the Massachusetts colonists would have no part of the British attempting to take over their government through the Massachusetts Government Act, which was part of the Intolerable Acts. And while Parliament is drafting the conciliatory resolution in the beginning of 1775, the Massachusetts colonists are forming their own provisional government and calling on the local militia, which were already in existence, to prepare for a possible conflict. Britain gets word of this, and they're not happy, again, with the Massachusetts colonists. And they give secret orders to their soldiers to go get the weapons and the ammunition the colonists have stored in Lexington and Concord. So effectively, Britain was running the colony of Massachusetts, but at the same time decided they needed to disarm the colonists. Well, the colonists learn about this and learn about the British plan to seize their stored ammunition. They had stationed watchers in the Old North Church steeple to keep an eye on the British, and when these watchers see that the British are moving by land towards Lexington and Concord, they signal by putting one lantern up in the Old North Church window, in the steeple window, to alert the riders that the colonists had prepositioned, including Paul Revere, to send out the warning that the British were coming. The British were coming. This is the famous horse ride of Paul Revere and the saying, one if by land, two if by sea. The British soldiers are heading to Lexington and Concord, where ammunition is stored, resulting in the Battle of Lexington and Concord. So the British soldiers are marching towards Lexington and Concord. The Massachusetts militia, also referred to as the Minutemen, they meet at sunrise in Lexington on April 19, 1775, where the first shots are fired. Eight militiamen are killed and one British soldier. This is known as the shot heard around the world. Most historians record this as the first military engagement of the Revolutionary War, even though the colonists had not yet declared war on Britain. Well, the militiamen in Lexington are outnumbered and fall back in their position, and the British move onward to Concord, where they were somewhat successful in destroying some military supplies. However, the size of the assembled militia is much greater in and around Concord, and the British take a larger number of casualties. During this battle, the militia eventually drive British soldiers back into Boston. But with ammunition in short supply, the militia from both colonies of Massachusetts and Connecticut make plans to take Fort Ticonderoga from the British, where various arms are stored. And by early May of 1775, the colonists had taken control of Fort Ticonderoga. This is the same month that the colonists had agreed to meet for the Second Continental Congress. Think about how much has changed since they met for the First Continental Congress between September and October of 1774. It's only about seven months later, and now the colonies are engaged in a military fight with the British Army. 
So as the colonists get ready to meet again in Philadelphia in May of 1775, it's important to make the point that not all of the individuals that were going to attend the Second Continental Congress meeting are seeking at that point independence from Britain. The conciliatory resolution, which was sent from the British Parliament to each of the individual colonies at the end of February, is now communicated to the Second Continental Congress from the Assembly of New Jersey at the end of May of 1775. The delegates at the Congress talk about the resolution and debate it, but ultimately they did not approve the conciliatory resolution sent to them by King George III as they held the belief that it infringed on their right to raise revenues for their own purposes. The delegates to this Congress did write and approve what is known as the Olive Branch Petition and sent that back to King George III. And in that petition, they restated their loyalty to England and pleaded for some sort of a peaceful resolution to the problems between the two of them. However, while they asked for peace, at the same time, they really were preparing for war. And as part of that Congress in the meeting, they established a Continental Army that was formed in June of 1775 and appointed George Washington as the commander. They authorized the printing of money. They appointed a committee to conduct relations with foreign governments should a need arise for the colonists to ask foreign countries for help in what might be a war with Britain. And in July of 1775, they issued what's known as the Declaration of the Causes and Necessity of Taking Up Arms. This was essentially a formal declaration of war. Thus, while shots had been fired before July of 1775, this declaration was the first official declaration of war against King George III. Thus, at this point, every individual attending the Second Continental Congress as a British subject was technically a traitor to the king. By August of 1775, King George had refused to even receive and read the Olive Branch Petition. He had declared the colonies to be in a state of rebellion, and he had sent hired mercenaries to America to bring this rebellious situation under control. During the last half of 1775, the individuals who attended the Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia were wanted for treason, and more of the colonists were convinced that independence was the only road forward. So while the war with the British continues in early 1776, another Congress or meeting among the colonists is now planned for June of 1776. In May of 1776, the colony of Virginia has a meeting and they authorize their delegates going to the Second Continental Congress meeting in June to make a motion to the Congress that the colonies become independent states and free from Britain. Richard Lee, one of our founding fathers of Virginia, actually is the one who prepares that resolution, which then becomes known as the Lee Resolution. The Lee Resolution is actually the document 
that drives the vote for independence. And I don't think it's actually given enough prominence when we talk about our history. The Declaration of Independence was essentially the press release that was given by the delegates indicating that they had indeed voted and approved the Lee Resolution for Independence from Britain. So delegates from each of the 13 colonies come to Philadelphia again in June of 1776. And on June 7th, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia introduces his resolution to the Second Continental Congress. Now, Lee's resolutions can be divided into three parts, and they were voted on individually. The first part was that the colonies were to be independent states and free of all political connections with Britain. The second part was that the states were able to form their own alliances with foreign countries. And the third part was that a plan of confederation of the states be formed. The Congress decided to form committees to separately work through each of these three parts. So there is a committee appointed to work on treaties that could be entered into with foreign countries. There is a committee appointed to create a constitution for the confederation of states. And there is a committee formed to draft a declaration of independence, should that part of the resolution pass. This committee consisted of five people, including the 33-year-old Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the majority of the document. It's interesting and important to note that many of the concepts in Lee's resolution are incorporated into Jefferson's writing of the Declaration of Independence. Obviously, of course, if the colonies didn't vote for independence, then those committees would be a moot point. So voting on the portion of Lee's resolution to become independent from Britain is critical. And the vote for that is delayed several weeks from the beginning of June because delegates from several of the colonies hadn't really been given the authorization to vote on independence. This postponement gave the colonists at the meeting who were proponents for independence time to convince the other colonies on the merits of allowing for for this vote. Thus, an initial vote is set for the Lee Resolution for Independence on July the 1st. In the meantime, as July the 1st approaches, a straw poll is taken, and it's discovered that the colonies of Pennsylvania and South Carolina are no votes. A yes vote from Delaware is also in jeopardy, with one delegate voting no and one delegate voting yes. Because a unanimous vote for independence was very much desired by the proponents for independence, the vote on the Lee proposal for independence is now postponed to July the 2nd, and a small group of colonists spring into action. First, Edward Rutledge convinces South Carolina to change their vote to yes, and he convinces Pennsylvania to be absent when the vote is taken. So it's now down to Delaware, and Delaware's delegates are split and one is absent. McKean is for independence. Delegate Reed is against it. Caesar Rodney is home at his farm in Delaware, so McKean dashes off an urgent message and dispatches it to Caesar saying, come to Philadelphia, we're voting on independence, we need your vote. So Caesar Rodney, middle of the night, 
suffering from face cancer and asthma, jumps in a carriage, rides part of the way. Then he has to get on horseback. He jumps on a horseback and rides the rest of the 80 miles in the middle of the night in a crashing thunderstorm and shows up at Independence Hall just as the morning session is ready to start. He's still wearing his spurs. He's made this tremendous ride through the middle of the night all to be there so that Delaware's delegation votes in favor of independence and the resolution passes. That is such a great story that I don't understand why it's not told more often, Chris. I think it's up there with the ride of Paul Revere. I agree. Caesar Rodney is an amazing American hero. And if it wasn't for him, this vote would not have passed. So on July the 2nd, 1776, the colonies passed the Lee Resolution for Independence. And then on July the 4th, they issue to the press their statement of the Declaration of Independence from Britain. Interestingly, in John Adams' diary, he writes that he believes July the 2nd will be a date remembered in history, which is correct, because it is the date that they voted and passed the Lee Resolution for independence. It probably should be. Right. But interestingly, the date of July the 4th, when they published the results of their actions in their Declaration of Independence, has become the famous date. Chris, it's interesting to note that many of the signers of the Declaration were relatively young, which is just great. The two youngest signers were both from South Carolina and both were named Thomas. Thomas Lynch Jr. was the youngest signer at age 27. He had taken his ailing father's place at the meeting. After signing the declaration, Thomas became ill and he took himself and his wife on a trip to Europe and unfortunately, Chris, their ship was lost at sea, thus ending any future political career for Lynch. Thomas Hayward, also from South Carolina, was the second youngest signer at 30 years old. He had been involved in the Revolutionary War, and he subsequently spent time serving in the Continental Congress until 1778, when he was appointed as a judge in South Carolina. Benjamin Rush from Pennsylvania was 31 years old, uh, and Elbridge Gerry from Massachusetts was 32 years old. Rush had been an advocate of independence from Britain in the late 1760s and was a very respected physician. Jerry spent the majority of his life in politics. He was in the Continental Congress and subsequently served as a U.S. congressman under the new Constitution for the United States. He became vice president of the United States during Madison's presidency, but died in office. And then, of course, we have Thomas Jefferson, who at age 33 did the majority of the work and writing involved in compiling the Declaration of Independence. And Chris, on the other end of the age spectrum, we have Ben Franklin as the oldest signer of the Declaration of Independence at age 70. Eleven years later, Franklin would attend the Philadelphia Convention where the new Constitution for the United States of America was compiled, and he would sign that document also. And in our next podcast, we will discuss the early years of the Confederation of States and some of the growing challenges of this initial political structure, 
which would eventually lead to the creation of a new constitution and government structure that we have today.